Namaste. This is Maya Tiwari. Episode 11. The causative factors behind the transmutation of our human genome. I want to add a word of caution before I begin. This episode is not for the faint-hearted. And if you are in the throes of trauma or in a very vulnerable state, I would ask you to please not listen to this particular episode. Because even the barest of truth can create angst when we are not ready to hear it. I strive to bring forward from the Vedic perspective and wisdom that which I have observed in my 68 years of life. But it might not be and it will not be the truth that each and every one of us seek to hear nor will it be the truth that you may be subscribing to. I do not wish to add to the plethora of fears and angst already created by so many controversies and so many deceptions surrounding COVID-19. However, to be true and clear to my own path and purpose, I must share the knowledge that I have and that I am aware of. So once again, this may not be the episode for you to listen to. I have many beautiful episodes of self-care and self-healing and those practices, those sadhanas as we call them in Sanskrit, may be the better choice for you. Today's episode is about the causative factors that have compelled the transmutation of our human genome, a very huge topic. And may I add that bioengineers and scientists are not the only people qualified to address this topic. In fact, the Vedic rishis and seers were the greatest physicists astronomists and chemists of all times and it is from that platform that I seek my information and from my own awareness developed over many many years and trained to be developed in a certain way. I was a Swami at one time, a sannyasin, a renounced person who delved into the studies of the Vedas so please take what I'm talking about from those point of view and not just from a layperson who is ignorant of what is happening. Many infectious diseases cross the species barrier. This crossing generally occurs either because humans come into contact with a microorganism that is already capable of causing human infection 
or because an alteration occurs in the spectrum of species for which the organism is pathogenic. Now, I'm quoting a piece from a popular science magazine. May I say, first of all, that I do not believe, and I know for a fact, that human contact with a microorganism that is already capable of causing human infection is not a species barrier jumping and skip over. Transmutation from one species to the other comes during a time of vulnerability in the human organism. However, it is not caused by excessive contact with that microorganism. And if that microorganism is already capable, as they say here, of causing human infection, then it isn't considered a species barrier slide over. But let me continue. Science calls this hopping over from one species to the other zoonoses. And they talk about the emerging zoonoses of crossing the species barrier. From the Division of Viral and Rickettsial Diseases, the National Center for Infectious Disease, and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, I will quote part of a very interesting and articulate abstract that they published last year. The ability of infectious disease agents to cross the species barrier has long been recognized for many zoonotic diseases. New viral diseases such as acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS as we know it, caused by the human immunodeficiency viruses number one and two, which emerged in 1980s and 90s and have become established in the human population. And again, they're talking about influenza viruses that continue to find new ways to move from avian species, those are the flying birds that species into humans, or the filoviruses and the newer paramoxiviruses, paramexoviruses, forgive my pronunciation that highlight the increasing proclivity of some animal viral agents to infect human population with devastating results. And so they go on. They end this abstract by saying, the factors which influence the ability of each infectious agent to effectively cross the species barrier and infect new cells and population are poorly understood. And that is the truth. Science does not understand why this is happening. Well, it has to be happening from a created causative vulnerability that has been occurring in the human species genome for quite some time. Then again, we hear from other science magazines about the theory of species spillover through the violent handling of animals or the lack of care or the neglect of our diverse structure of species 
all of which makes sense. It is very true that spillover from animal to human population was, is highest when the species is threatened by overconsumption and habitat loss. Last year, the United Nations Panel on Biodiversity warned that up to one million species face extinction as a result of human unsalubrious, disharmonious, and disrespectful activity with the animals. But that in and of itself will not allow a disease to transmute itself from one species to the other. But the fact that these happenings occur more when we are violating species habitat and species lifestyle and respect for our animals and other species in our universe tells us that we are at risk because of another causative factor. Something is happening that has been weakening and dispersing, if I may use that word, the human genome in such a way that makes it vulnerable, susceptible to a spillover from one species to the next, which infers, clearly it infers, that the genetic structure of the human genome is being transmuted or changed in some way before the incident of spillover can actually occur, regardless of the intensity of our relationship to the animal kingdom or the other species kingdom, regardless, although we cannot disregard our complete disrespectful, discombobulating, disembodied relationship with our other species and animal. Yet that in and of itself will not alone convert a disease from one species to the other. What I'm trying to say is there are underlying factors, causative factors that have been on a progressive increase for as long as there has been life on earth probably. But certainly from the period of World War I to now, and I will go into what my understanding, and I do not call it a theory, and this is not arrogant. This is a way of saying that in observing nature, which I have been doing for most of my life and teaching about our cyclical rhythms in Mother Earth and all that fosters a cohesive, wholesome, harmonious relationship with our Mother Earth, I believe that I am qualified to speak to such an observation. Now let me get to the heart of my story. Let us first talk about the military activity in our 20th century. Military conflict has been taking place every year of the 20th century. 
there were only very brief periods of time in our world when we were free from war. The total number of deaths caused by war during the 20th century has been estimated to be around 200 million, but it's probably higher. Let me list for us the number of wars we have had, and I'll tell you why I'm talking about military war. Because of the the degenerative, the demoralizing use of chemicals during a war. The Revolutionary War from 1775 to 1783, the War of 1812, the Mexican-American War for 1846-48, American Civil War, 1861-1865, Spanish-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American-American
with such precision and such determination in almost every war, but starting with World War I, we are looking at what was called the chemist war because of what was introduced in military action at that time. Chemical weapons are agents that come in four categories, choking gases, blistering gas, gases, nerve gases, and gases that affect the blood. These agents are organized into several categories according to the manner in which they affect the human body. Alone in, in, in 1914, the beginning of World War I, we were looking at the introduction of the lethal chlorine, of the chloropicerine, of phosgene, of sulfur mustard gas, again in, in the Lewis Sight gas. In the 30s, we look at the G series of nerve agents introduced into our atmosphere and earth and into the bodies of our fighting warriors and soldiers and into the human population, into the land, into the air, into the water. 1960s, the V is in victory, series of nerve agents. 1990s, the Novichok nerve agents, lethal, lethal uses. Uh, the agents' name are so many that I will have a difficult time pronouncing them all. But the signs and symptoms of them were already tremendously noxious and ill-faring for those who were inhaling and who were uh, within proximity of, of these vapors and fumes and gases. And it lasted for many, many years in the body of the human affected by it, as well as all the species and our Earth itself. The very different category of such gases were, were categorized. Uh, the, let me put it this way. The Chemical Weapons Convention categorized these as defoliants and herbicides that destroy vegetation but that were not immediately toxic or poisonous to human beings, but they, but they were. They were classified as herbicidal warfare. Batches of Agent Orange, for instance, was used by the British during the Malayan Emergency War, and the United States during the Vietnam War contained dioxins. Dioxins, rather than Agent Orange, have a long-term cancer effect, proven and for causing genetic damage leading to serious birth defects. Incendiary or explosive chemicals such as napalm, extensively used by the United States in the Korean War and the Vietnam War, because of their destructive effect, effects are primarily due to the, their explosive force and not direct chemical action. The, this use is, con is considered or called the conventional warfare. And of course, they were using viruses and bacteria and other, and other organisms. Their use is classified as the biological warfare. Toxins produced by living organisms are considered chemical weapons, although the boundary is a little blurred. 
needless to say, it's all toxic and it's all covered by the Biological Weapons Convention. Most chemical weapons are assigned to one to three letter NATO weapon designation or in addition or in place of a common name, but we shan't go there. The most important factor in the effectiveness of chemical weaponry is its efficiency to deliver and disseminate to a target. The most common ways of distributing these chemicals were via bombs and projectiles and warheads, sprays and spray tanks, which disseminate from low-flying aircraft, like we do chemtrails. All right. Can we really say, having looked back at the length of time we have been at war with each other, having looked back at the amount, the artillery, the humongous load of toxic gases and biochemical agents that we have used, chemical weaponry that we have been using over the last century, can we really assume that it has not had an effect on the genome of all species and in particular to the human genome? Also for the animal species to be carried over into the genome of the human means a vulnerability at both ends from the animal itself and also within the human being itself. Let me further inundate my story by talking about incidents of transfer, what they call spillover, from one species to the next. Thousands and thousands of years ago in the Vedas, it is mentioned about cross-species transferal. So obviously the earth has been attacked, perhaps not with military gases, but perhaps with natural disasters that have created toxic and noxious uh, release of gases from the earth herself and we talk about it affecting all species. But as far as we know in history, traceable history that is, the whole switching and adaptation, let's say 10,000 years ago, occurred when the smallpox virus occurred. The origin host was, an, uh, was a primate or camels, they're not entirely sure but it host-switched over to the humans. Measles, another ancient, possibly started with the primary host as cattle, and the new host became humans. Influenza viruses started with the avian section, water and birds, new host were humans, pigs, and horses. Host switching and adaptation, possible role of intermediate host, many examples in human viruses emerged in this period, 1910, 1916, and 1956 to 1968, 
almost directly during the time of our First World War and our second and after the Second World War. CPV started in cats or similar carnivores and the new host became the dogs. Several mutations in the capsid control binding to the canine transferring receptor. This started to come, become clear. It happened in the 70s. And by 1978, it was worldwide. HIV-1, old world primates and chimpanzees was the original host. Skipped over to humans. Here again, virus entered the human population approximately in the 30s, actually 1930s, and spread widely in 1970s. Multiple introduction likely to give HIV-1, M and N and O variants. SARS, COV, the primary original host were bats. And the new host, the new species that it went over to was Himalayan palm, chivets or related carnivores and humans. The adaptation for binding to the, AC, the ACE2 receptor in humans between 2003 and 2004. The dengue virus began in old world primates and ended up in humans 500 years before our time. So we, we are looking at a tremendous coalition between the use of toxic gases, toxic chemical, bio-warfare, bioengineering warfare, microorganism warfare, and the host switching situation. It's important to understand that diseases such as COVID-19, pandemic sweeping the globe, would become more common as human activity destroys habitats and forces. Disease carrying wild animals into the proximity with us, but I say this again and again, the theory of scientific spillover from one species to the other does not hold truth because we have to have created a certain pattern of vulnerability from the primary host, uh, original host, and another set of vulnerabilities in the genome of the receiving host, in this case, the human being. Certainly destroying our habitats and the animal habitats and, and using the vile amount of butchery and slaughter and total mindlessness and unconscious behavior that is affecting our, our wild animals, that's affecting our nature, that's affecting all of it, is not to be done. There is no, nothing humanity about it, no humane action about it. These are crimes against nature herself. 
these crimes make us vulnerable psychically, but of course it does. But something is transmuting the physiological, biological data within our bodies, both animal bodies and avian bodies and human bodies and the body of Mother Earth. And we need to be able to address those causology, those causative effects, those causes. And we need to be able to be honest and truthful about them. I will continue this extremely difficult and stoic podcast sessions about the transmutation of our human genome as I go along. But for now, I wish you all peace. And please remember, in these very difficult times, when there is so much that we are afraid of, and there is such a heightened sense of isolation which has never served the human or the animal or the forest or the earth, the spirit of the earth. We've, we are creatures that are meant to socialize and be with each other and commune and communicate and touch. But perhaps we can take pause in the, not call it an isolation, but the time of stillness to take pause and to look at how we can better serve Mother Nature, Mother Earth, and certainly the animals and our wild friends so that we can once again befriend ourselves. I thank you for listening. And as I said before, you do not have to agree with me. And please preserve and protect and safeguard yourself and your families. Be well and with light. Peace be your journey. This is Maya Tiwari signing off. <laughs>